You know, in our culture, when something's broken, we add a value to it. We, we say, uh, you know, if something's wrong, it shouldn't have happened. And, and this, in some ways, what it means is, when we're, because we add value to everything, we, we say, oh, if that's wrong, then, then, oh, you know, it shouldn't be that way. Instead of just kind of receiving some of the things that, that come our way. Because we add value to absolutely everything and we judge everything. We tend to, when things are wrong and need healing, we tend to paper over the cracks. We tend to pretend that we can carry on. Or we tend to pretend that what's happening is, is that it's, it's not that bad really. And so what we tend to do is deny the need for healing. I want to tell you, I stand before you today as a pastor, and there are areas of my life I need God's healing. How about you? There is things where we just need to say, I'm going to stop being a denier. I'm going to accept that I need healing. I need some restoration in that. See, that's a big confession for some of you. Some of you today, you know that if you start to confess that, the dam will break and things will happen and you'll have to go with it. You know that you're holding that wall saying, no, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Don't, don't, don't. Because you know if the dam breaks, you know that things will really have to change. You know, in Japan, they've got a way of... uh, mending pottery it's called kintsugi and uh, what they do is they glue it back together with a gold resin so that that it actually becomes more precious than before that actually when they make it more valuable being repaired than it was in its original state and I kind of think that that's what God wants to do with you today he wants to take some of the brokenness in our lives Some of the brokenness around us in our nation. And he wants to put his healing in it so much that we're more valuable after the repair than we were before. And that actually we wouldn't want to go back to what we were before. You see, in the scripture, the need for healing and restoration is simply just accepted. It's just a given fact that God can make us stronger and more precious than we ever were through our hardships. But we have to be honest enough to say, I want to go into that healing process. In the book of Isaiah 57, it says that I have seen their ways, but I will heal them. God sees how bad our city is. And yet, he's not given up on it. And I just think, as, as Christians, we've got to stop being cynical. And you know, oh, the media are against us. Everything's against us. This world's terrible. God sees how this city is. He sees how this nation is. And yet, he still says, I can heal this. Amen. How about your faith? Are you going to bring it up to God? God says, I see their ways, but I will heal them. I will guide them and restore them. And I will bring comfort to them. You see, God still loves our nation. God still loves your nation from where you're from. God still loves your family. God still loves you. And so you can receive healing. You can receive restoration because you may have given up on you, but God hasn't given up on you. Now let me quickly say, however, that when things go wrong in our lives, 
sometimes we need to be sensitive about restoration. In the, in the sense that God isn't wanting just to parade your faults out there and say, Oh, look at you, how broken you are. Let me show you how I can heal you to everybody else. That testimony may come later. God is a kind God. In fact, in the scripture it says, Above all else, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Proverbs 10 says, hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers all wrongs. And in the scripture in, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says that love always protects. Yes. You know, and so please, when we talk about healing today, don't think, oh, have I got to confess in front of everybody and that's the way I'm going to be healed. No, love covers things. Like a loving blanket over your life and discretion and, and, and sometimes in, in quietness, God wants to heal you. He wants to put his hand over you. So don't feel like you have to be exposed to be healed. Actually, God just says, I just want to heal you. But understand that in God's healing, the process, there is gold there. There is, there is his love there and his strength there to put you back together. And his love makes you better. You see, in this kind of, this way of kind of repairing pottery, they had three strong ideas. The first one, I mean, I don't know Japanese, so please, if you're a Japanese speaker, forgive my pronunciation. Wabi Sabi calls the fact that uh, it, you can see beauty in things that are flawed. You know what, Kathy? I think you're in love with my wrinkles. <laughs> do, do you know what I'm saying? After a while, you don't get wrinkly. You just get more interesting. Don't you think? That's what I'm telling myself now forever. But you see, that's the idea that actually through some of your bumps and bruises, and God is making you more of a depth of a person. There's beauty in your flawedness. Stop trying to be the magazine person that everybody wants you to be. Be you. You know, you're not the perfect shape. You don't look the perfect person. But your mother loves you and so does God. And even if your mother doesn't love you, God does. The second idea in this um, way of healing pottery is a a word that the Japanese use is motanani. I don't know whether I'm saying it right, but it expresses regret when something is wasted. God doesn't want to waste anything in your life. Every pain, everything that you've been through, everything, God says, I am there. I can turn it. I can use it. I can heal it. Nothing's wasted. I know that some of you have come this morning and you think that you're behind the schedule. But nothing's wasted in God. There's a third idea where the Japanese use a mushin, it's called. And it means that you have to accept that things change. Things change. You're not going to be healed if you don't want to change. God is the only one that says, I am the Lord, I change not. And yet he also says, behold, I do a new thing. So I just want to say to you today, if you're going to be healed, 
You're going to have to accept that God wants to do some new things in your life. And one of the reasons why we're not healed is because we refuse to accept the changes that God wants to bring. We need to have a change. Our nation needs a change. We need a change. The church needs to change. We need to be more loving, more aggressive at the same time. We need to be stronger and quieter at the same time. We need to be more prayerful and more outward going at the same time. We need a change in our nation. We need a change in ourselves. And we need to accept the need for change. Now for ourselves, we often need restoration because we're running on empty. Everybody, you know, all the new cars tell you how many miles you've got left, don't they? They've got a gauge that says you've got 200 miles before you run out of petrol. I'm from the generation where you just had a gauge and it said E. (laughs) You know, and that needle was on empty. You know you've got another week's worth of petrol in there. (laughs) You know, and that's where the phrase running running on empty was about. And some of us, we're on E, but we are on empty because... We think, no, I can go a bit further. But actually, you've got four tanks that need refilling regularly. You, you have got, you've got a physical tank. Do you know that you need rest? Do you know that it's morally right to take a day off and rest your tank? Let me tell you, I can tell you if your, t- your physical tank is empty. Because if you're using lots of substances to get you going... And you have to be kick-started a lot. I'm not talking about physical conditions that need medication. But you are like dragging into work and saying, give me my coffee. You need a rest. If you're using too many substances to get you going, you need to rest and you need restorative activity. You need an activity that isn't your norm that brings you back to healing. Can I hear an amen? Because some of you, you're in church and, and you've heard all your lives you need to work harder. I need, you need to rest, some of you. The second tank that you need to fill up is your emotional tank. You know when you're emotionally empty is when you're irritable for no reason. All the doctors in the house will know this. When you're stressed and you can't put the finger on why you're stressed. When you're struggling to focus... When you start something and never finish anything, you need an emotional top-up. And to fill this tank, you know what you need? You need joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. There's an old evangelist called Billy Sunday, and he said, if you've got no joy, there's a leak in your Christianity. (laughs) You know, you need joy. That means you need to do things and be with people that give you joy. Stop trying to rescue everybody and be around some people who speak some good into your life. And you have a bit of joy with them. If you love cooking, go and cook your heart out for a day and get some joy in it. Go and fill up your emotional tank. Be with your family and your friends that give you joy. You know, you're looking at me and say, where's this on the outline? This isn't on the outline, this is biblical wisdom. You know, get some joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen. We used to sing an old chorus, you know, that I've got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. And everybody used to shout back, where? Down in my heart, where? And then I used to say, well, tell your face then. You'll be around some people where you can flow some joy out. Some of us need, and joy is deep. It's not just emotional. 
although it fills your emotional tank, you've got to fill your life. You know, it's almost a turn to your neighbor moment, but we're not going to do that. Third tank that you've got, you've got a mental tank. You know, the brain is an amazing thing. It's a supercomputer inside your head. It's an amazing thing. But you know, you need to fill up your mental tank because sometimes our brains get addled and kefuddled. Now, if this is in your second language, your brain just goes on on another uh, wavelength for a while. And you need to rest your brain with a different type of stimulation. Read something that isn't about work. You know, sometimes as a pastor, I read only Christian books. And then sometimes you just want to read something that isn't about church. Kathy will tell you this. Mark, we go and talk to our friends. Church, 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 church. It's not just your life, it's your hobby and it's your interest. And sometimes your brain gets stuck. You need a mental top-up by reading something, doing something, thinking about something, talking about something that isn't about, that's going to progress your career. You've got to change your mental focus. You've got a physical tank, so rest. You've got an emotional tank. Give yourself some joy. I'm not saying go into work tomorrow and saying, I resign and I'm joyful doing it. Don't do anything stupid. You know, you've got, a, you've got a mental tank. Read something. But you know what? And this is the key one. This is the base one. This is the one that goes through all the other three. You've got a spiritual tank. And when your spiritual tank is empty, everything else goes bump. You need time with God. You need time in the Word. You need time if you're going to be healed. You see, I'm going to point out to you in a few moments... That this promise that we've read and we're all declaring over our nation, it's a family promise. Did you notice that it's if my people? It's about God's talking about his family. If my people will humble themselves. You see, what God wants to do, he wants to have a people that will be full of him. And so your spiritual tank, you have to fill that up. You have got to fill it up with, with God with his presence and with the word. Every single day. In fact, Paul said in Ephesians, he said it this way. He said, finally, my friends, be strong in the Lord. You can't be strong in the Lord if you never spend time with him. And then he says, when you've done everything, stand. He says, be strong. You've got to fill up that spiritual tank and and be strong in his mighty power. This promise for healing is a family promise. It's a if my people promise. It's a promise with a premise. It's a promise with conditions. It's a promise to his people who want to be healed. It's our healing that overflows into the nation. So, can I just say, if you're a stubborn Christian, a Christian that says, I I don't want to receive from God, I don't want to change, you're blocking the nation's healing. What an awesome responsibility we have. We are the key to the restoration 
of our society. And we're not being proud. It's just because we belong to God's family. You see, he says, if my people... In other words, we have to... In order to be healed, we have to be willing to identify with him. Jesus said it in a really tough way one time. He said, if you're ashamed of me, then I'll be ashamed of you. So we've got to be willing to say, I'm part of the family. You know, when you were a teenager, you know, and your dad was kind of making jokes and dancing and so on, you were so embarrassed and you thought, I just don't want to be part of this family. (laughs) But actually, as a Christian, you don't get the luxury to say, well, you know what, everybody else is saying they're a Christian and I'll just be a quiet one. You have to identify yourself. There may be some people here where you are okay with church, you're you're fine with, with... some parts of church, but when we get a little bit serious or a little bit outward going, you're saying, you know what, I just like it when, when it's on my terms. Well, I just want to say to you, after a while, God is going to say, are you ashamed of me or are you part of the family? And we all have to be counted and say, well, yeah, I'm part of God's family. Because when you own up and identify, then healing begins to come. And that's what's blocking some of our healing. We're standing on the edge of the water. On your outline there, there are four conditions to healing. I'll run through them really quickly because I want to show you a testimony today that I want to prove to you that, that God, God can reach anything in your life. God can heal the deepest secrets and the hardest problems in your life. It may take a while, it may take a process, you may battle with your mental health for a long time, but nevertheless, God's gracious hand can heal you. Do you receive that by faith today? You know, I'm, I'm feeling so shepherdly today. Uh, you know, it's one of those moments when I just feel like, I just really want you to be right in God. And it's not about me, it's and my feelings, it's about... I feel like the Lord really wants to do and t- just, just take down some of the defenses and the barriers today and receive a little bit more from God. The first condition of us being healed, and you can fill it in on the outline there, is you have to humble yourself. We have to admit that we are not in control. That, that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. We don't pray to be humble, by the way. Lord, make me humble. You choose to be humble. You don't ever... In fact, there's no prayer in the Bible where you can say, I prayed and this made me humble. There's no prayer. It's a choice that you decide and say, God, I'm choosing to put myself in the right position with you and with others. That's humility. See, humble people forgive quickly. They serve when others are not looking. They do the right thing. They, they do the right thing when they're treated unfairly. They're quiet. They're patient. They don't retaliate. They put themselves in the right position before God and say, God, I know who I am because the I am says who I am. I, I, I know what my position is before you. And I know what my position is before man and, and women. I know that that I don't have to compare myself. I have to honour and bless and respect 
and be kind, but I don't have to cow down to or be a slave of and be overly welcoming to or try and impress. I have to just be who you're making me in Christ. That's humility. And the Bible says, come to yourself. Humble yourself. And be under what God is saying. You see, being honest and humble is the beginning of healing. When we begin to admit that we need help. That we actually say that actually the, the veneer and the barriers and the gate around us not in a, it collapses and we say to ourselves and to God, God, I need to progress. I want to talk to people at my stage of Christianity. Kathy and I have been saved a long time. And, and, you know, we know lots of things. Our experience is there. But I want to say to you, as for me and my house, we want to serve the Lord and we want to progress. And if that means taking down barriers of, of Bible college and all that we know, then in order for us to progress, then Lord, let us progress. And I want to say to you, some of you older Christians, some of you who really know the score... Take down some of the things that are stopping you progress. Be humble. That doesn't mean that you're exposed. It means that you are walking with God. There are four things there on your outline. When we're humble, God guides us. He can can steer a a humble person. Psalm 25.9 says, He guides the humble into what is right and He teaches them their way. Are you the sort of person that nobody and nothing can tell you anything? God guides the humble. When we're humble, God blesses us. Isaiah says, these are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Is everything just blasé to you? Yeah, I heard it before. I once, I once uh, renovated a church one time. And it, when I got there... The, they, they had, a, they had a, a, a teak wooden paneled feature and I thought, ooh, that looks dated and uh, so I took it down and painted the wall and an old member of the church said, ooh, two pastors ago he took something down and he painted the wall I know there's nothing new under the sun but you've got to tremble at his word to receive and begin to say, no, I am teachable God, when, you, when we're humble, God, we will get strength and grace that we didn't know we could have. See, that's the key to humility. James says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Your healing will come when you depend on him. When we're humble, we get the power to change. Jesus said, when you take my yoke upon you, you'll find rest for your soul. You see, the first condition of healing is, is that we are humble. That we begin to say, I need help. The second condition is, is that we have to ask God. In fact, the Bible says, if my people who will call by my name will humble themselves and pray. Not think about it, complain about it, be grumble about it, muse about it, meditate about it sometimes, but actually talk to God about it and pray and ask. Over 20 times in the New Testament, you are told to ask. Jesus put it this way. He said, ask anything in my name 
and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Now, I just want to say that the real key to asking is that you, when you ask God for things, you're learning alongside of him. He, he wants you to... You see, some people say, why do we need to ask God for anything? Surely he knows what I need. In fact, the Bible says the Father knows what you need even before you ask it. So some people then say, well, what's the point of asking? Because in the asking, you're learning how to walk with him. You're learning how to receive from him. You're learning how to hear his voice. So it's really important for your growth that you simply ask. You know, there are some Christians that don't ask God for anything. Because they're just saying, God, don't worry about me. Don't worry about me. And actually, they're being self-sufficient. I don't need anything. Really? Ask. And it will be given to you. Seek. You will find. Knock. The door will be opened. If I've learned anything over this 40 days of prayer, is that God's gracious hand is there for us to ask. Did you know once I was the pastor of an American military church? You know, it was like being pastor of Top Gun people. It was great. It's like, you know, F-111 fighters, they were fast jet, and I, had a, I actually had a flap jacket. It was a great thing, you know. 70% of my church were men. Isn't that amazing? Now, ladies, I'm not saying anything about that, but it was like hunkerama. It was really great. And one day, I was walking around the base in my Christian Serviceman Center flat jacket with Major Bill Gemmett. And Major Bill Gemmett was from New York and he looked like Woody Allen. Uh, and, but he was a major in the American Air Force and as we walked in the room, everybody stood up for us. And then, and, uh, you know, they stay standing until he walked out the room. And as we walked to the next room, everybody stood up for us. And I'm thinking, I could get used to this. <laughs> They weren't standing for me. If I'd have walked in the room, they would have not stood. They would have just said, what are you doing here, sir? But they all stood up because I was standing with the authority of Major Bill. I want to say to you today, when you ask, we ask in the name of Jesus, and that brings the authority into our prayers. You've got to align yourself with the right authority. You see, what I'm trying to teach you today is humble yourself, get with the guy who really knows what he's doing, Jesus. You see, in our asking, let's come in his authority, in his name. And as we do that, he will show us if we're asking something that isn't appropriate. You know, I've I've learned as well that asking comes when we get others to ask with us. I think Pastor Nick said it yesterday, uh, last week, about a burden shared is a burden halved. Do you ever get somebody to ask on your behalf with you? Now, in a few moments, I'm going to ask those of you who want to, to come and receive prayer. And you know, there are some of you who will say, oh, I never go forward for prayer. What's that about? What is that about? You never need prayer? What is that about? In the New Testament, it says that they prayed together. Together. Now, you may not need to come every week. 
But if you never come for prayer, why don't you get somebody to say, I'll stand with you. In fact, one of the keys to receiving is by getting people to pray with you. To ask with you. That two or three come together and anything they ask on earth, they ask on earth, will be done in heaven. See, we make prayer such a solo artist thing that we think, I need to pray. Now, of course, you need to take responsibility. You need to stand on your own two feet with God's grace and help. Of course that. And we know that some people are ultra needy, but I'm okay with that. Because actually God can build strength into their lives. So asking is about being able to say, yes, I will share my prayers. There's a great mystery to healing because God doesn't give you everything that you ask for. You can ask for anything, but God doesn't give you everything. Hey, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back and just... Just kind of come and be ready, actually. But I just wonder if, I just want to show you a film. The other two conditions to praying is this. And now there's a great mystery in healing. But we seek for God, not just his miracles. That's number three on your outline, that we seek God. The Bible says, if my people humble themselves and pray and seek me. Don't seek the miracle, seek the miracle giver. And finally, the Bible says that we've got to turn from our wicked ways. And basically, when when God was saying this to his people, what he was saying was, is simply this. Don't live as if I'm not there. You know, sometimes we are so connected to God in church. But, but then throughout the week, this definition of wickedness is, you're living as if I'm not there. Four conditions to you receiving healing. Number one, be humble. Know your position before God. Number two, ask. Number three, seek him, not just the answer. Number four, live like he's there all the time. Turn away. Now, team, what what I want you to do, you you might just want to stand to the side just for a moment. Because I just want you to watch this testimony. And in a sense, this is like grown-up church again. Kelly had the thing happen to her that every one of us would even have a problem with God this happening to us. But even in this situation, Kelly found that God could be real. Just roll that film. I grew up in an alcoholic. I grew up in an alcoholic and abusive home. For much of my life, I saw Jesus and other people and knew there was a place in my heart that was meant for him, but I could never figure out how to make that connection for myself. Trust didn't come easy for me. Despite a rough childhood and still searching for God, I met the most amazing man and love of my life and had two beautiful children. 
There were many moments my husband Brent and I were amazed at how blessed we were. Our beautiful world came crashing down in an instant on February 25, 2010, when our 17-year-old daughter Chelsea went missing while on a run in a public park. After a massive search effort, her body was found five days later. She'd been murdered by a previously convicted sex offender. I could not accept that God would allow this. I was never more far away from God than in that moment. Five months after we lost Chelsea, at the request of our son Tyler, we moved back to Naperville, where we had raised our kids for 10 years prior to moving to San Diego. We returned to the same neighborhood that we'd lived in. All our friends here surrounded us with love and support in both tangible and intangible ways. They served us, and sometimes they just sat with us in our pain. We were able to breathe again. I didn't yet realize that God was at work. On a return trip to San Diego, I had a moment where I felt I needed to go to the place that they'd found Chelsea's body. My anger with God had only allowed me to feel the pain of loss, but in going there, I experienced a peace I didn't expect. Without having context for it, I knew I was standing where angels had been. And in that moment, I knew Chelsea was safe and whole and carried to heaven in the arms of angels. My heart began to thaw. Our home in Naperville was less than five minutes from community's Yellow Box campus. My husband Brent began attending, but I wasn't ready. He gently invited me, but never pressured me. I watched his example. I finally agreed to attend and ended up crying through the whole service. I didn't attend again for a few months. Brent continued to attend and would come home and share the messages with me, which led us to having meaningful conversations about God, his healing, his grace, and his love. I felt the wall that I'd built up around my heart was coming, was beginning to come down. I began to attend services at Yellow Box Weekly with Brent. God connected us to Dave and Sue Ferguson. Sue and I began meeting on a regular basis, and through those meetings, I began to realize that God has always been in my life. I saw what Christ's love really looked like. It wasn't about rules, reciting a bunch of Bible verses, or checking things off a list of what Christians should do. I learned that being a Christ follower was about developing a relationship with Jesus and living under the umbrella of his grace and love. Sue invited me to join a women's group at Yellow Box called Connections. I was petrified at first. I still wasn't sure I would fit in, but I trusted God. I quickly found a sisterhood of women who were struggling through their own doubts and questions, and I felt safe. It fed my soul in a way that I hadn't even realized I needed. The raw beauty I experienced in the group blessed me in a way I have never experienced anywhere else. There's no doubt that God was intentional in placing these women in my life. When my mind cleared enough to see past the fog of grief, I discovered that God was never closer. During a time when I experienced pure evil, he provided unimaginable light and love. As I went without sleep, without eating, in a state of utter heartbreak, people said, I don't know how you're getting through this. I didn't know it at the time, but I look back and know that it was by God's strength and mercy. He sent amazing people. He sent resources. He gave me words to speak. He saw me through. 
All of the ways God had provided and walked this journey to healing and faith with me all came together during a service at the Yellow Box. In a quiet moment, God's love filled my heart in such a subtle and gentle way that I knew that I had finally found my way back to God. Today, I'm being baptized because I know I can't do this life without Jesus. I know He's real. I know He provides. And I know that I am a child of God, and He loves me for who I am. I don't know what you're going through. And there'll be a kind of mixture in this room of some people are okay, but you need to progress. There'll be some people in this room who have a situation that's difficult and you'll need to give that over. There'll be some people who'll need extra grace. But this is what I know. You're not going to progress or find healing as an island on your own. Whether you're a really private person or an outward-going person, that's not the issue. The issue is that God wants you to be close to Him. The issue is that He wants to bring restoration and healing into your life And as he brings it into his family, it flows out to our city and heals our land. So if you'll stand with me just for a few moments. You may never have the situation that Kelly had in her life. We pray all of our hearts that nothing ever like that happens to anyone here. But I do know... Three years ago, two years ago, a whole family here died in a fire. And I do know that things happen. So as we sing this song and as we say, God, would you touch me? You may not have a big deal in your life and I don't want to make it so. But if you would like God to touch you and take you deeper into Him. I want you to open your heart for these last few minutes of our service. Don't worry about the time, we've got it. And just say meaningfully, Heavenly Father, I want to progress in you. This is the other thing that I know. You will never progress just on your own. You need other people. And when you learn that, And when you learn the one another culture in Christianity and when you stop treating the church as, well, I go on Sundays and I never do anything else. But when you actually connect and become a part of a community, then you will be healed in deeper and deeper measure. 